0: Welcome to mini episode 94 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank S.L. Emmy Harmon Patty Dever Rosa Eaton Narcissa Bones Desiree Gray Lorraine Mary Thompson Hilary Matote Lexi Galagos Colonna Owens Alex Wheeler Shannon Roseanne Cindy Lyon dd46, Jonathan Wright, Paige Strybig, Flora Watson, Caitlin Miller, and Emma Tollefield. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I appreciate you every single day. And we have five listener stories for you today. And the last story is from the 1st of December 2020. And story number one comes from Anonymous. I've just finished listening to your line of duty episode, and it reminded me of an incident that happened to my husband. He's not in the police force, but he is in the British Army. This is about my husband being shot in Afghanistan, and as odd as it sounds, it is a nice story. My husband was serving in Afghanistan in 2009. He was stagging on, which is guard duty, in a house because they were trying to clear the area of Taliban. One day he was stagging on the roof when he felt something wind him and knock him to the side. He had seen bullets flying around and a few hit the sandbag next to him so he instantly assumed that he had taken one in his side. He was winded really badly so he checked for blood but there was none. He told his sergeant over the radio I think I've been shot to which the sergeant replied Oh, shut the fuck up and carry on stagging on. My husband checked again for blood, but there was none. Unsure of what had happened, he followed orders and carried on his stag. When he got back to the safety of Bastion after finishing his op, he had to swap the Osprey body armour cover for a new style one. When he took the plates out, he saw a lump and there was a bullet lodged there in the side. If it had only been a tiny bit over, it would have probably been a fatal wound hitting a lot of major organs. To which he said, I fucking told you all I got shot. On retreating back to his tent, he noticed the guardian angel his mother had bought him for protection. The wing had been broken. We all think to this day that the angel took that bullet and saved my husband's life. Whether you believe in this theory or not, I think it's a lovely thought nonetheless. Oh, I don't think it really matters whether people believe your story or not. Like, I I want to believe it. It's amazing. I would love to think that we all have a guardian angel or some sort of guardian being that knocks around looking out for you. That is, I would love to, to believe that that is true. So I'm here for this. Also, you know what? Fair play to your husband for being shot and then his sergeant just going oh fucking get over yourself you've not been shot and then he just carried on i can't imagine how it would feel i obviously can't imagine how it would feel to be shot but i also can't imagine how it would feel to have a brush with death that closely and how that must feel afterwards like how do you reconcile that it's a pretty mad thing to think that you know if it had been an inch or a couple of centimeters to one side then he would have died but he didn't it's crazy let's go with guardian angel i like the idea of having a guardian angel and story number two comes from Brittany. about a year ago in mini episode number seven i wrote in about my experience with a skinwalker and the hat man i feel it's necessary to relay my experiences to others because let's face it those of us who believe in the unknown and mostly unseen feel like crazies and there is a need for validation. Recently, there has been an uptick in experiences in our lives. While otherly experiences aren't abnormal for me, they have definitely taken a crazy turn, and they have become exceedingly hard to dismiss. About five weeks ago at around 2am, my three-year-old daughter woke up and said the black, creepy eyes were making her wake up and wouldn't let her sleep. We pray for and with our children every night. Because of where we live, a rural town called Vale, Arizona, we have a vast array of critters that take up residence under our home. It's a manufactured home that sits about four feet off the ground. Anywho, both girls ask nightly that we pray that the creatures go away. Frankly, they are loud and obnoxious in every sound in the walls and under our house, a reminders that they are slowly destroying our home. But nonetheless, scary sounds to the little ones. However, since that night about five weeks ago, our three-year-old has been asking that we pray that there would be no black eyes. Nothing more. Just that they would be gone. I'm a light sleeper. I was a single mom for nine years, so I was the only one to be there to take care of my baby and then babies. It just becomes a habit to wake and meet whatever need there is. My husband, however, is a pretty deep sleeper and very rarely wakes when the children do. The nursery has an adjoining wall to ours and we leave their door open completely and our door cracked about five inches so the two little ones can get to us if they need us. On that night five weeks ago, I awoke with a start. I had that eerie feeling that someone was watching me. I opened my eyes and looked to the left. That's the side I sleep on and the side the kids come to when they need something. No one was there. So I turned my eyes to the door, which is toward the foot of our bed. In that five-inch gap, there was a being peeking in, crouching down on its haunches, butt to ankle like you see pure-breed dogs do. Its butt was not on the floor, but floating just above its haunches. Its skin was pallid, pale, but with a green grey tint. Its eyes were large and dark, and though its legs were bent at the knees, they reached the height of the doorknob. Our doorknob sat about four feet off the ground. Having just awoken, I assumed it was my imagination, but as I blinked and regained focus to my tired eyes, it was still there. I convinced myself it was a hallucination and closed my eyes and rolled to the right. Seconds later I felt the foot of the bed compress and shake like the dog had jumped on the bed with a running start. Again I had convinced myself that I was imagining things and then thought that my 14 year old had let the dog out of his room. When yet again I opened my eyes there was nothing. To test this theory out of instinct I used my feet to search for my husband's feet. He sleeps like a damn starfish. And isn't the most cuddly person. So I thought he was kicking to make me reclaim my own space in the bed. Needless to say his clodhoppers for feet were nowhere near mine. Or where the shake and pressure was felt. At this point I knew there was something wrong. So I sat up and gave up on rest. As I picked up my phone and was scrolling Facebook I heard my three year old scream. Not like I'm hungry or thirsty but a terrified scream. As moms, we know instinctively the particular screams or cries that our babies have. She came running into our room and said the black eyes were coming for her again. The next morning, not having gone back to sleep, I told my husband guardedly that I felt the bed shake like someone or something had jumped on it. He said nonchalantly that he had felt it too. It had woken him up, but he thought it was me having yet another restless night. I then told him what I had experienced and he didn't question it. There is no resolution to this. At this point, I am convinced my daughter is a seer like I am. Recently, at an appointment with an ear, nose and throat doctor, before her tonsils were taken out due to a tumour growth, she asked my husband, Why does that lady have a hole in her neck? He said what lady and her response was that one sitting there while pointing. There were no posters of women or men with traits, not anyone in the room who even had the appearance of one. I have no doubt that my job is to help her know that she is not crazy as I was made and still have been made to feel. And that there are things out there that scare us but God's intention is for us to understand and have compassion and sometimes to intervene. Honestly, Brittany, I feel like it's not too late to pack up your things, burn your house down, gather up your children and just move to the top of a mountain somewhere, live in a cave where where that little freaky thing can't find you. That is more terrifying to me. That little creature is more terrifying to me than any ghost. Give me a poltergeist any day. Give me a ghost, an entity living in your house any day. That little freaky leggy creature is is not is not welcome in my world i don't know how you can calmly i presume you calmly wrote that story i don't know how you can calmly write that story i would be typing the story while screaming constantly and story number three comes from beck our family is very extraordinary to say the least my great-grandparents served in world war Two. They were odd for their time, just like the rest of the Murphy side of our family. My great-grandparents had two daughters. Joe Pat Murphy, who travelled all the way to Europe to race horses, and Marilyn Murphy, my grandmother. She married my grandfather and had two kids, one being my mom. Soon after, she got a divorce, leaving her with two children to raise on her own. She went to college and got a ton of degrees in who knows what. But as I said, the women in our family are extraordinary, so she became a juvenile probation officer. Women back then didn't work, so she was faced with a lot of opposition, but she was not someone you'd want to mess with. Today my grandmother is a wonderful Christian woman, but she wasn't always like that. She drank and smoked heavily when my mom and my uncle were young, often leaving them on their own for several hours. My mom got into the occult, which, as we now know, opens you up to a lot of spiritual activity. Despite my grandmother's reputation, her and my mom were best friends, much like I am with my mother now. One day, as they were sitting on the deck of their cabin talking to each other, a man dressed in old farmer-type clothes walked up to the fence in their yard and sat staring at them. My mom saw him immediately, but my grandmother didn't. After a few minutes of him staring... My mom finally spoke up. Mom, why is he staring at us? Do we know him? They both looked as the man walked around the corner of the house. But when they went to meet him, he was nowhere to be found. They didn't think much of it since they did live next door to a small bar, but it kept happening. My grandmother began to feel uncomfortable when he was there and decided to ask a friend about the man. She was told the next time he came to say, What do you want in the name of God? Nervously, she waited for him the next day. And when he showed up, she asked him what he wanted. And right there, in front of both my grandmother and my mom, he just dissolved into thin air. They never saw him again. Our family seems to be very open to spiritual activity, especially me for some reason. I have several other stories if you'd like to hear them, but we'll leave that for another day. I would like to say as an open statement to everybody who's listening, if you have to end your story with I have several other stories if you'd like to hear them, the answer is always going to be yes. Yes, we'd like to hear them. Absolutely yes. Because the stories are all amazing and I do love stories about strong women and strong women who, you know, go to work against the odds and defy the odds i mean it's pretty amazing less amazing that a man kept appearing at your house and then disappeared into thin air i know it's not your house and it was your mother's and your grandmother's but you know less amazing that that happened as a relatively non-religious person myself i do i wonder if it's the use of god or the direct questioning or the recognition that comes with the direct questioning that makes that made the entity disappear and story number four comes from Ginny. My mom's mother, whose name was Muriel, committed suicide in my current house in New Jersey when my mom was in college, which was about the early 1980s. Muriel was depressed, and alcoholic, was fun occasionally but uncontrolled other times, and was stubborn and hard. She loved my mom and her siblings, but she was really unstable. And this doesn't sound important. But she wasn’t fond of cats. They had three dogs in the house but my mom always wanted a cat. After college, my mom moved to Virginia and met my dad and they had two cats together. A few years into living there, she started taking her one cat, Katie, to a nearby nursing home to help comfort the patients, a lot of whom were senile and suffered from Alzheimer’s and dementia. There was one woman who was always restrained to a wheelchair because her dementia was severe, and she would often wander around, go into fits, and possibly hurt herself by accident. My mom had talked to her many times before, so this was another normal day for her. She walked over and introduced herself, and as usual, the woman was extremely checked out and mostly unresponsive. My mom asked the woman if she wanted to pet her cat, and all of a sudden the woman looked her right in the eyes, completely focused, and said, No. I don't like cats. My mom was a bit taken aback but just said okay and sat down and started asking her questions. She didn't answer any of them and instead started asking my mom about her family by name. She asked about her brother, her father, her sister, if she would graduated college, what she was doing here, how her father's business was going. Things my mom never mentioned while talking to the patients there because she would normally ask them about their lives or about Katie. She got really freaked out and sat back, but calmly asked her what her name was. This woman, again, normally zoned out, didn't break eye contact at all and said, My name's Muriel. Almost like my mom should have known. My mom grabbed Katie the cat and went to the nurse's station to confirm what the woman's name was, and found out that it was mary she left immediately and didn't go back to the nursing home for about a month and when she did finally return mary had died muriel still hangs around my family i was born in 2000 in virginia and though i don't remember when i was very young i would apparently have dreams about a young woman in a white nightgown with short blonde hair and i would call her grandma I had one grandmother who was still alive, but she had long white hair when I knew her. We moved to the house in New Jersey, and my mom thinks that Muriel is still hanging out in the house, or at least checks in from time to time. And another story about people at the end of their life doing miraculous things. It's so amazing, but also so tragic for poor Muriel. She felt the need to take her own life, and then... Jenny's mum to come face to face with this this bizarre reincarnation of what seems to be her mother. Oh, it's just it's just fascinating, really. I think dementia in itself—we've talked about dementia loads of times in the podcast because it seems to be quite in vogue at the moment to use dementia as a tool in horror movies—and I think it's a pretty horrific illness in itself without trying to make it uh, supernatural but this just seems so bizarre just so strange and you know what i i think if if you were muriel you'd want to come back and check on your family and see how they're all doing and story number five comes from tash The year that I turned 14 was one of quite significant change in my life. My mum had stayed at home to look after my brother, sister and I until that point. But around this time, my mum did a return to practice course to retrain as a nurse, as she had done before she had children. My dad was a pilot, so he was away from home for half the year. As the eldest, I was often tasked with looking after my younger brother and sister while my mom did night shifts at the hospital as part of her training in the A&E department. For the first time, I had significant responsibility, and was being left alone at home. It also felt personally quite significant. My mum's mum, my grandmother, passed away when my mum was 14. My mum is in her 60s now, and she still cries whenever she talks about her mum. They had an extraordinary bond, and to this day my mum says that my grandma was her best friend. I spent a lot of that year acutely aware that I had reached the same age as my own mum when her mother died. I often found myself wondering about my grandma, what she was like, whether she was in a place where she could see us, how I would have coped if I had lost my mum. I remember that those questions seemed to weigh on my mind quite heavily at the time. On this one particular night, my mum was working something called a twilight shift, 8pm to 2am, sometime in late October. A storm was blowing through the UK at the time and there were high winds and rain. The night was otherwise entirely unremarkable. My mum went to work after we had dinner, I put my younger brother to bed and I stayed up until about 10.30 before I went to sleep. Around 12 o'clock, I was woken up suddenly and forcefully, by what felt like someone pulling on my pyjama top to sit me upright in bed. I was quite literally jolted awake and aware of a female voice in my ear. The voice said one thing over and over and over again. Text your mum. Text your mum. Text your mum. Text your mum. I was utterly confused. I had been deep in sleep literally seconds before and I had just felt someone pull me, gently, but forthrightly, so that I was sat bolt upright with a voice I didn't know telling me to text my mum. I thought I must have been dreaming and I went to lie back down. As I did, the voice became louder and more urgent. Text your mum! Text your mum! Text your mum! Bewildered, I picked up my phone. The voice continued as I went to type. I had no idea what I was going to say, but as I stared at the keyboard, a strong gust of wind blew against the house, causing the walls to shudder as the wind whistled. So I text the first thing that came to mind. It's windy tonight. Be careful as you drive home. As I clicked send, the voice stopped. And just as it had started, I felt hands that grabbed my pyjama top, lay me gently back down on the bed and I fell back asleep. For reasons that will forever be inexplicable to me, I was neither afraid nor confused as to who was talking to me. I had this innate sense that it was my grandmother... She needed to tell me something and when she was done, she put me back to bed. The next day was otherwise entirely unremarkable. I woke up and my mum was home to take us to school. All was as it had been. But when I got home that evening, my mum and I had a conversation that I don't think will ever leave me. She told me she wanted to thank me for the text I sent her the night before. I had forgotten about it, to be honest, having sent it in the middle of otherwise being sound asleep. While the occurrence had been extremely strange, it hadn't frightened me and I think I assumed that I had dreamt it. She told me that she saw the text when she checked her phone on her break in the early hours of the morning and was completely taken aback. We very rarely texted her when she was working and the fact that I had sent it and so late at night meant it played on her mind for the rest of the shift. When she clocked off just after two, she drove home incredibly slowly with my text in her head and the wind blew against her car. The journey from the hospital to our house isn't that long, but the final stretch is a long and narrow and unlit country road notorious for its blind bends and particular darkness as either side of the road is covered by trees. As my mum approached the final blind bend, a huge gust of wind blew through, uprooting a large tree that fell in front of her car My mum, driving intentionally slowly, managed to stop on time. She told me that she thought my text had saved her life. I told my mum what I had heard and felt and how out of character it was and what I knew deep down to be true. My grandmother had wanted me to tell her to drive slowly because she knew what was coming. I'm a rational person, I don't entertain the idea of most things paranormal because it often seems so utterly ludicrous in the face of our everyday lives. I've had another few experiences, one particularly horrifying one involving a smirking opaque man in a graveyard, but that's for another time. But this story is the one that I always point to as the most paranormal thing I've ever experienced. The one that has truly tested my understanding of what is and isn't real. Whether it was ghostly, a spirit, an angel, a well timed dream, the fact of the matter is it had real world consequences. My mum is still here, and I'm eternally grateful for that. I try not to think about it too much because the idea that the dead have the possibility to cross the veil, or do we cross it, and both affect the actions of the living while simultaneously having the ability to see what will happen in the future is too much for me to comprehend. Perhaps it was just windy and I felt the need to say something. Whatever it was, the experience has left me forever curious about the paranormal, while providing the most profound sense of calm. Maybe there is life after this, and the bonds of love tie us in ways we can't yet know. And Grandma, if it was you, then thank you. Oh, that's just giving me goosebumps. Do you know what? Maybe there is. Maybe there is an afterlife and people can come back and look after us. And I'm going to choose to believe that today. That's what I want. That's what I want to believe. I believe that your grandmother woke you up to say, text her, make sure that you text her and say to drive home safely. And then it'll be on her mind and then she'll drive more slowly and she won't drive the car into that tree that's going to come down. We're just I'm just going to believe that today. Thank you so much to Anonymous, Brittany, Beck, Ginny and Tash for sending in your stories. If you'd like to send in your own spooky story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also find out everything you need to know about me on our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, we shall see you next week.